Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. This morning we're going to be talking about freedom. And let's start with a little history lesson. So anyone who loves history, this one is for you. Um, So as many of you know, and as I never fail to mention, I am originally from a little British isle called Guernsey. Um, If you don't know where it is, it should... There we go. You see that arrow? (laughs) That's how small it is. Um, (laughs) So you might have noticed it's a lot closer to France than it is England. And at the beginning of the Second World War, when Nazi Germany began taking land, they set their eyes on the Channel Islands because they basically, we didn't have any armed forces. We were just like a bunch of farmers. So it was quite easy to take that land. So they took Guernsey, Jersey and Alderney. And um, yeah, for five years, the islands lived under the German occupation. So during this time, island life looked very different. Children were evacuated from the island to England as the German forces came in. And I actually have some photos. So, so this is them arriving. Uh, this is like the main town. And then the next one, this is actually the school that I grew up, I went to when I was younger. And you can see the swastika in front of it. I found this very recently and it was absolutely blew my mind. Um, yeah, so not only were rules and regulations introduced, but curfews, restrictions on gatherings, freedom of speech, access to medicine, food, And if you stepped out of line, people were often sent to concentration camps and never returned. So the landscape of the island as well, it changed as the Germans constructed forts around the island to defend their occupation, like this one. Um, And they had, as you can see, they had like turrets where guns would point out towards um, the basically on any oncoming attack. But then they also always had a open, the turret's the wrong word, isn't it? I don't really know. But they always had an opening one which had a gun still pointing towards the island itself. So it was quite an unsettled time. But then after five long years, the war was over. And uh, on the 9th of May, the Channel Islands were freed. And among the islands, we call this Liberation Day. And actually, obviously, the 9th of May is coming up pretty soon. But it marks the end of the occupation the end of Nazi Germany reign and families being reunited. It's a national holiday over in Guernsey, so I celebrate it every year without fail. And you can often find me on the 9th of May, probably like elbows deep in some kind of traditional cake, tending to a barbecue and Guernsey flags all around me, sometimes painted on my face. Uh, (laughs) But the liberty that my grandparents and great-grandparents felt that day must have been so sweet. Finally, freedom. And actually, on that day, back in 1945, Winston Churchill announced in his VE Day speech, and our dear Channel Islands are also to be freed today. So today, we're going to be continuing our series in Galatians, and we're going to be looking at what it means to be called free. So if you want to turn to Galatians 5, I'm going to read from verses 2 to 15. It should come up on the screen, yeah. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. I'm just going to pray before we get in. Yeah, Lord, I thank you for the book of Galatians. God, I thank you that, um, yeah, as a book, it just, it sums up how we are justified by your cross alone, Lord, not by our own work or merit, and that we can find freedom in that. And I just pray this morning that as I bring what I've got to share, Lord, that you will be speaking through this passage to us today. Amen. Amen. So as I said before, we're going to be looking at what it means to be called free, what we're free from and what we're free to. And I think a lot of society today that believes that when we become a Christian, you actually have to walk away from true freedom into a more kind of restrictive regime where you can't do this and you can't do that. But actually, the Christian life is a call of grace to true freedom. So from this passage, we're going to look to three areas, freedom from the law, freedom from false teaching and freedom to love. So firstly, freedom from the law. As we've covered over the past couple of months, for us, unlike the Jamaicans, Galatians, um, (laughs) don't know where that came from. Um, For us, unlike the Galatians, the religious act of circumcision today isn't as much of an issue. So for us in the 21st century, it looks far more like I work, therefore I am worthy. We live in a self-made culture of the more I do, the more I'm worth. And this can then lead to consequences of workaholism. Then on the other end, if there's something that's prohibiting us from working, we can feel guilty and ashamed about it. And it's almost black and white because neither are great outcomes. And this can translate into our walk with God. I'm not reading my Bible enough. I'm not praying enough. I don't fast. These good things like reading our Bibles and praying and fasting, they can then take a legalistic and religious turn. And while being good things, they don't ultimately justify us before God. Only the cross justifies us. The American theologian Philip Bryken puts it, the problem with the Galatians is that they were seeking to base their justification on their sanctification. They were in danger of exchanging God's grace in the gospel for performance-based Christianity. And as Paul was saying in this passage, if you try to be justified by the law, you'll fail because you'll come under the ownership of the whole law and you'll have to obey the whole thing. And you'll naturally, you'll come up short because as we looked at a few weeks ago, there's only one who has ever been blameless before the law and that was Jesus. And if you are Jesus today, let me know. Um, but I think you probably aren't. So <laughs> the Galatians here were putting their faith in their own works. They were relying on a religious act to bring them justification before God. And Paul's response here is actually quite shocking and direct. He says that by doing this, Christ will be of no value to you at all. And this is such an extreme statement. When we know what we know about Christ, the concept of him not being any value to us, it feels like it doesn't make sense. 
This is the same Paul who wrote in Ephesians 1 verse 3 to 8, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which we have been freely given which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. The Christ that he's proclaiming here, that gives us adoption and sonship, blessings, forgiveness of sins, grace lavished on us. He now says if we try adding to this by earning our salvation based on merit, all of it, all of that, all of that goodness and blessing will be of no value to you. The cross will be of no value to you and you'll have to live by the law and obey the whole law. I wonder if you've ever boasted in an area or a situation then come up short. It's like, kind of, can you imagine like stepping into a boxing ring and knowing one move and expecting it to see you through the whole match? Or starting a debate, which I've done before, and then realising the person you're arguing with knows a lot more about the topic than you do. Um, or doing, again, I've done before, starting a hike and then realising that the people you've gone with are a lot fitter than you are <laughs> and see the hike lasting a lot longer than you did. Um, I do that with my mum all the time, which is sad to say. Um, but this is what was happening with the Galatians. By going back to the law, they'd stepped into a scenario in which they would never be enough. They would never be able to see justification through their works. And as we see in verse four, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. By doing this, we and the Galatians alienate ourselves from Christ and from the grace that he has bought for us. Verse five, for through the spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Eagerly await, not eagerly, uh, eagerly earn. When we trust our own performance to make us right with God, then we are looking to something other than grace. We are falling from grace into legalism. But Paul here says we wait in the spirit, not in our own works for righteousness. When we focus on our own works, we almost take, almost make God our employer. He's not your employer. He's not your dissertation tutor. He's not tracking a progress report on whether you've met targets this month and then earning you what you're due at the end of the month. His opinion of you or affirmation for you doesn't increase with the more hours that you put in. He is a loving father that has lavished grace on you. And this grace brings freedom from religious acts. For when we're in Christ, firmly secured through the cross, circumcision, no circum circumcision means nothing. The only harm is putting our trust in something that's not relevant. And since Jesus, circumcision was no longer relevant. Verse six, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Our salvation is worked out through our faith in the cross. And then this faith produces love, which we'll look at a little bit more later. So as we move on to verse 7, we see how we are called to have freedom from false teaching. Paul goes on to acknowledge that the Galatians started well. They were doing a good job. It says in verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Paul loves to liken the Christian life to running a race. It says in Hebrews 12 verse 1, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. When we run this race of life, Paul is so clear that our eyes need to be fixed on Jesus. And for the Galatians, they, 
for for the Galatians, they'd let their vision drop and they were looking at things around them instead and it stopped them from running a good race. And I think we probably all have faced this situation at some point or maybe multiple points in our lives and we've fallen away from the path ahead of us and turning our gaze from Jesus and instead looking to earthly things around us. Not only that, I can think of countless film and TV references where the falling off track plot falls in. I used to watch this, it's a bit embarrassing to be honest, but I used to watch this cringy TV programme called Once Upon a Time. Um, <laughs> and one of the main characters, Rumpelstiltskin, uh, <laughs> was consistently switching between following what's right and being swayed by evil forces to return to his old ways. And uh, in almost every season, there was a pattern of the first half of the season, he'd be with like the goodies. And then the second half, he'd be trying to destroy the goodies. And um, his like character arc as such wasn't like this, but instead was like, like that, because he just continuously was going back and forth. And this potentially was just bad plot writing, which highly likely, <laughs> judging by their CGI, they didn't have a big budget. Um, <laughs> but this also showed the fragility of how we can be swayed from running off track. But it's not just in pop culture. Like, How many of us can you think of right now that have friends that maybe at one point were following Christ, but today have drifted away? I remember someone once describing the Christian life like driving a car that has the inclination to always veer left off the road and onto the hard shoulder. It's not just about smooth sailing on the motorway, but rather actively veering the car to stay on the road. And Paul says, who cut in on you from obeying the truth? Paul knows here that it's the false prophets that have cut in and persuaded the Galatians. He also knows, as he says in verse 8, it's not from the one who calls them. It's not from Jesus. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. If you've ever made bread before, you'll know that the ratio of yeast to flour, you use a very small amount of yeast to see the dough of the bread rise and grow. And the first time I actually I ever made bread in food tech, the, uh, the, my teacher showed us a bit of yeast and she was like, it's alive. And I think everyone freaked out in that moment. Um, but what she actually meant was it's active, um, which is a lot less creepy way to say it. But, um, but she was right in a sense because yeast is a living organism. The yeast activated by sugar and carbohydrates ferments and then it releases gases that prove and rise the bread. This yeast is active and changes the whole formation of the dough. And Paul was saying here that this active false teaching has the power to spread and contaminate the whole church, which is why, as we spoke about a few months back, about how important it is about checking where our spiritual authority comes from. When we listen to preachers, worship songs, videos on social media, we must have this filter on of, does this align with what the Bible says? Does this align with what Jesus taught? because our spiritual authority comes from the word of God. But Paul is confident in the Lord that the Galatians will not take another view and that they will follow the true gospel. And we see in verse 11 that some of the false prophets have been going around actually saying that Paul is preaching both Jesus and the need for circumcision. He says, brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, and I imagined he said it in this tone, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offence of the cross has been abolished. He's basically saying here, if that were the truth, who would I be offending? If he were preaching this, his life would be a whole lot easier with a lot less persecution, considerably less pain. But he says in the case, in this case, the offence of the cross has been abolished because if he's preaching that circumcision is a necessity and salvation doesn't rely solely on the cross, then who would he upset? He'd keep the Jews who believed you're justified by the law happy. 
But the cross here either made people incredibly elated because their sins were forgiven, or at this time incredibly angry because it put everyone on a level ground and there was no room for boasting in works or heritage. As Paul said earlier in Galatians 3 verse 26, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We then again see how intense Paul's wording is, how seriously he takes this distortion of the gospel in verse 12. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Essentially, if you're going to bother taking a little bit off, you might as well take the whole thing off. And uh, (laughs) neither will be of any use to you in your justification, is what he's saying. And with this extreme comment, we're reminded again of how serious legalism is and how seriously Paul was taking this issue. It takes away our freedom and puts us back in chains. It takes away from the work of the cross, the work of the spirit, God's almighty power. It infiltrates and spreads through churches and it takes the glory from the cross and puts it on our own works. And Paul was having none of it. These teachings were not the freedom that Jesus died for. Legalism, as we've looked at over the past few months, can sneak in and almost go unchecked. It can look like seeing the world in black and white. This is right. That is wrong. Alcohol is bad. Christians shouldn't be seen in bars. Or maybe it's more about comparison. You look at those around you and you think, oh, I'll never be as holy as they are, but at least I'm better than them. Or maybe it's that you believe that your blessings will only come once you've had your allotted quiet time. If you're feeling like you're always trying to be good enough but never quite measuring up, there's the potential that legalism has snuck into your life in one way or another. But Jesus came to bring us freedom so that we no longer have to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's in verse 1 that Abby looked at last week. Burdened by a yoke of comparison or burdened by a yoke of judgment. So we have freedom from the law, we have freedom from false teachings, and we have freedom to love. So verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Jesus came to set us free. The Christian life is a life of freedom. And I just want you to think for a moment about your friends and your families, your colleagues, your neighbours, your course mates. When they look and see your life, do you think they see one marked by freedom and love? Because Paul goes on to say, it's how we use this freedom that marks who we are. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. Paul warns here that this freedom isn't simply a green card for sin to just indulge indulge the self. It says in Romans 2 that God's kindness is intended to lead us to repentance. And repent throughout the Bible essentially means turn to or return to God to turn away from our sin and turn towards God and the will that he has for us. And when we repent and we receive this freedom from God, we're making an active decision to change and walk in the freedom that he has for us. And this freedom, rather than indulging in ourselves, it looks like serving and loving one another. How do we use our freedom? Do we trade the God that can satisfy all our needs for our physical pleasures, can satisfy all our needs for physical pleasures and earthly things that ultimately won't satisfy and fall short. Are we using our freedom for that? And Paul is saying, no, rather serve one another humbly in love. 
And actually, if we look at the life of Jesus, I know everyone's been watching Chosen, The Chosen recently, so I know that's flying about. Um, but if we look at the life of Jesus, we see at the root of everything he did, every action and word was to love and serve those around him. Jesus had more authority, power and freedom than anyone else who ever walked the earth. And he used that freedom to wash people's feet, to spend his time with the social outcasts, to love those around him. He said in John 13, verse 34 to 35, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Are we recognised for our love for one another? Verse 14 says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Paul is essentially saying to the Galatians here, you want to follow a law? Here you go. One of the great commandments, love your neighbour as yourself. It's that simple. Romans 12 verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves. Essentially outdo each other in honouring one another. How far are we actually going for each other? Do we let this commandment trickle down into how we view hospitality and bearing each other's burdens? Paul warns the Galatians and us as well of the risks. If we don't follow this commandment, verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. If we use our freedom to indulge in ourselves, our self-centered nature, we will be destructive to each other. As we're going on to see in the coming weeks of Galatians and when we hit the fruits of the spirit, that love is the first one. When we walk in and rely on the spirit, love is an outworking of that. And just to finish, I just want us to dwell for a moment on verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. I wonder if there's anyone here that this morning you don't really feel like you know this freedom in Christ. The freedom from the law, freedom from legalistic thoughts, freedom from comparison. The value of the cross is that we know it's an all-encompassing power to save us once and for all. That the work was done And this radical act of love by God beckons us to radically love and serve those around us. That this is what we're called to do with our freedom, to love and serve as Christ loves and serves us.